Hi. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, you know, we... I, I don't know how often, but I think about it often. The, the connection between this world and the next. Um, there, there's a couple of visuals that the, that the rabbis give us in, from the Talmud that, that I think are always good to keep in mind because it kind of explains a lot. It's good to know where you are, you know? Um, so, so anyway, the, they describe the, uh, the closeness of the next world and this world. Like, you know, when you, when you uh, stack cups, you put one cup inside of another cup. You know, like that's when you, when you buy them, they're all stacked, all within each other. And so they, they talk about the, the next world and this world is like that, like stacked cups. In other words, that dimension is stacked in this dimension. Right? So in other words, you see how, how close it is. There's a dimension within this dimension, but you can't see it. But it's literally right here, like two stacked cups. Um, in, that same, in that same area of the, the Talmud, they give, it, they give another example, like two hairs on the same head, talking about the closeness of this world and the next. So, so, so you see the closeness. I mean, that's, that's, we, we tend to think, we say, oh, um, the, the soul is in the Garden of Eden, or it's in, um, it's in, it's in heaven, or whatever it is. All, those, uh, all that language makes us think that there, another dimension, which is not untrue, it is true, but that other dimension is very, very far away, and that the, that the person is essentially lost to you. Um, it's not the case. It's not the case. There, I heard Reb Shlomo consoling uh, someone who had just lost their mother, and he, he said to her, he said, um, he said, now the two of you are closer than ever. He said, because before, if you wanted to talk to her, or she wanted to talk to you, you'd have to call each other. He said, now wherever you go, she's right there. That's, that's, what, that's what he said. And when you, when you see, when you understand this idea, this imagery of the stacked cups, you understand how these two things, the idea that the soul is, another, is in another dimension, but it's also right here, that those, that those thoughts aren't contradictory at all. They actually go together very, very beautifully. Um, I feel when I'm talking about the, the closeness of, of, of souls that have gone on, that it's important for me to add that we, our tradition is we don't, we don't try to contact them through mediums or psychics or anything like that. I feel people's minds are going to that next step right now and I want to just sort of like stop them before they complete that thought. We don't do that. That's, that's not Judaism. We don't do it, okay? So, so uh, it's, it's, but we have a relationship and the relationship continues. And, and, and we can talk to those souls, and we can ask that those souls should, should be, um, you know, put in good words for us and, and be, be, be helpful to us. But um, it's uh, not through psychics or, or anything like that. This is, a, this is just a, a personal, ongoing connection that we have with our, with our loved ones. With our loved ones. That's right. We, we, we have that direct line. That's right. So... So, so that's 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 important. Um, that's our that's important for us to know. Uh, 
So why am I why am I bringing it up? Because because for for a few reasons actually. Uh, I'm I'm going I'm going to be I I think with God's help. Um, you know, this is such a wild thing that kind of came out of the blue for me. So I I don't know if it will happen, but it's the the plan is in place for it to happen, right? So with God's help, it will happen. I'm I'm going to go to, I guess, um, Poland next month, and I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'll be at the. It's funny because I, I I don't you know different people. This is such a personal thing. Different people have different uh, feelings about this. I've never wanted to go to the concentration camps. That's me personally. Other people I think would benefit by going. I guess that's 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 their personal connection. They, you know these things are very individual. Me, I never had a desire to go. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the Rebbes that I've, I've been learning from and everything like that, who are, you know, so much a part of my life, to, to say the least, they're all buried in Poland. And, they're, and, and so, so my son's school is going on a trip that's going to combine visits to the grave sites of our greatest holy people, our greatest tzaddikim, but also the, the, the same trip is to go to these death camps. And it happens to be that they're taking the trip on a week that I have off from work. So the, the fact that these two things lined up was like, you know, like amazing to me. And then one of the scheduled trips, I mean, there's so many tzaddikim buried in, in so many rebbes buried in, in Poland. But one of the things... That, that's actually on the itinerary as, as formally part of the trip is to go to the gravesite of the Kutzka Rebbe. And, you know, anyone who's been listening to these talks and knows that I mention the Kutzka Rebbe all of the time. And the reason being that my wife is a, di- a direct descendant of the Kutzka Rebbe and the son that I'm going on this trip with was named after the Kutzka Rebbe and was given the name Menachem Mendel on the yard site of the Kutzka Rebbe. His, his bris was on the yard site of the Kutzka Rebbe. So I have an opportunity to visit the, the grave site of the Kutzka Rebbe with, with my son who's named after him. So, so I'm hoping it will happen. I'm hoping it will happen. Um, and uh, so with that in mind, I'll tell you the following. A few weeks after, you know, I decided to go, and it was like, okay, let's let's do it. Let's, you know, my son wanted to go, and the idea of going with my son just, I just knew that 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 has the potential to be something that you know we'll both remember, you know. So, a few weeks afterwards, I'm I'm looking for some information about a particular rebbe. And I have a book called The Encyclopedia of, of, of Hasidim. I don't look at it that often. It's more of a kind of like if you just want to know like a birth date or something like that, just like a tiny little biographical sketch. And the entries are about one paragraph, two paragraphs long. It's very, very short. It doesn't, the, you, you, just by the size of the book and the nature of the book, it doesn't even attempt to be authoritative or comprehensive at all. It's just like a reference book. You know what I mean? So I'm looking in 
in this book, this is now a few weeks after, you know, I'm saying, okay, let's, let's make this trip. And, um, and uh, I'm looking, and it's funny, this, this book, like the way they translate, po- Polish, Polish is very hard to, Polish is very hard to uh, translate into English. You know, like you get weird combinations of consonants when you want to translate something from Polish to English. Like, for, in- for instance, um, there's the Jikovarebi. So if you want to try to find the Jikovarebi, it's spelled in English D-Z. J- that's how they get the J, right? So trying to find something Polish in English in a very short encyclopedia, it's, it's hard to find anything in that book. So I'm looking, I'm looking up this particular Rebbe. I don't even remember which Rebbe I'm looking up. And, um, and I can't find him. But, 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 but my eye falls on something else. And it says, Tzvi Hirsch of Tomashev. Now Tomashev, well, I guess you probably don't know, but Tomashev is where the Kutzka Rebbe is, is, is born. And actually, Tomashev is where my, my father-in-law who's also a Morgan Stern, was, was, was also born in Tomashev. So I know that Tomashev means Kutsk. You know, those, the two are very closely related. So I thought to myself, I saw this entry. It's not what I was looking for. I see Tzvi Hershev Tomashev. And I thought, maybe Tomashev, maybe he's related somehow to the Kutska Rebbe. So I read the entry. It's a very short entry. And it says that Rab Tzvi Hirsch was the main gabai, which means the, the main lieutenant, if you will, like looking after the affairs of the, uh, all the dealings and running the organization of the Kutzka Rebbe. So I thought, oh, you know, here he is. He was, the, he was his right-hand man who's like kind of organizationally running the, the show. I, I, I didn't know about him. Tzvi Hirsch of, of Tomashev. And then it said that when the Kutzka Rebbe, at the end of his life, the Kutzka Rebbe went into seclusion, and he basically separated himself from his Hasidim. But he continued to keep his close circle, his close, close circle. And during those years, Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch continued to be his Gabbai, which is very meaningful, if you know about the life of the Kutzka Rebbe. And they said that after the passing of the Kutzka Rebbe, they wanted to make Tzvi Hirsch the Rebbe, but that he didn't want that, and that he then became a a chassid in, in Ger and Alexander, which were very close chassidises to, to Kutsk. And now, here's the reason why I'm telling you this. And then the last line is it says, and he's buried next to the Kutzka Rebbe. Hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I'm going to visit the grave of the Kutzka Rebbe. And it's like, I felt like Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch is saying, you're visiting the Kutzka Rebbe, so, so no, you should visit me too. You should know about me also. I wasn't looking for that information. I didn't even know I had that information in the house. I've been learning about the Kutzka Rebbe for 30 years. I didn't know about him. But somehow, right when I'm going to visit the Kutzka Rebbe, all of a sudden, Rabbi Tzvi says, Hi. You should know me too. 
So, God willing, I'll be able to visit Rav Tzvi Hirsch as well. Okay, so another story. So, over the last couple of years, I've been kind of, you know, staying with one sefer from one, one Rebbe that I, that I would hear Reb Shlomo speak about and teach from, you know, over the years that I was, you know, privileged to learn with him. And so slowly, 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 I'm just trying to make whatever I'm learning to be about those Rebbe's that, that he used to teach. So one of the one of the names was the Chidush Arim, the Ger Rebbe. So I just finished the last year going through that that sefer. I, not not all of the teachings by any means, but but you know, every week we we learn something on the on the parsha. And so the last year's talks, if you, you, you if you were paying attention, you, you heard the name the Chidush Arim all the time. So so now. Um, I'm thinking, okay, so what's going to be the next, what's going to be the next book? And to me, because this is going to be, this is like a soul thing. It's not like just a simple thing, okay? Like there's no, there's no, it's not written anywhere what you learn next. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like you're in the middle of a desert. Like, okay, which way do I turn? Which way do I walk? You don't know. So I thought, okay, well, I just kind of was thinking Rav Tzadok HaKoyim is, is another giant, you know, planetary-sized Rebbe that, that I've never actually, you know, I've learned his Torahs over the years, different things, but I've never actually learned through a Sefer of his. So... But he had he had a lot of safers, a lot of books, and he was really one of the greatest geniuses of you know hundreds of years. You know, so where do you begin? Where do you begin? Right. So anyway, I didn't even want to discuss it with anyone. Like, what next book? Because it's just it's, for me, this is just a very extremely personal thing. Most personal thing, really. So, anyway, I met this guy who I just, it was Simcha's Torah, I'm online. We're getting ready to wash our hands for the Suda. It was a kind of a community meal. And I don't know, I just got the feeling I should discuss it with him. I didn't know the guy. So, he said, Yeah, I said, You know, is there like, he knows, you know, some Hasidists. So I said, you know, Rav Tzadik Akon, have you, what, what, where would you start? And he's like, oh, well, I know someone who had this question. What first book do you learn from Rav Tzadik Akon? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, let's just stop right there, <laughs> right? Like, that's nuts, Right? And he said, and I asked this, this person who's a student of Rav Moshe Shapiro, who's someone who's Torahs I learned. Rav Moshe Shapiro was one of the biggest rabbis in the world. He, he left this world maybe a year or two ago. 
and I'm still like learning his Torahs, they're unbelievable. Basically, it's he's teaching the Zohar and the Ari through the lens of the Vilnagon. Usually you get the Zohar and the Ari through the lens of the Baal Shem Tov and, and the Rebbe's. This is, you're getting it through the lens of the Vilnagon. So it's just great to have that expansive you know, thing. And, and I heard him refer to all the Rosh Yeshiva, not all of them, but a tremendous number of Rosh Yeshiva in Israel would all attend Rav Moshe Shapiro Ova Shalom Shir, his talk every week. So he was tremendously influential in the Torah world. And I heard him referred to as the Rebbe of the Litvaks, right? So this person either asked Rabbi Shapiro or was a student of Rabbi Shapiro's. He was a student of Rabbi Shapiro's for sure, which means he's connected for sure. Whether he asked him, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. He's, you know, you, you see he's rooted in, in a very good place. And he said, if you want, the first book that you, if you're going to, the first book you should learn from Rav Tzadok HaKon is called Tekanas Hashavim. I never heard of this book in my life, and I've, you know, been hearing Torahs from Rav Tzadok for decades. Never heard of Tekanas Hashavim. And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn Tekanas Hashavim. Just decided then and there. So, so I've been learning with uh, with someone for like twenty six years, just about every day. Um, and uh, there's he has in his uh, in his in his house in Israel, which is you know small on the smaller side. Two to three thousand books. And it's true. This is absolutely true. Piles of books everywhere. And when we learn together, you know, the, the things that we learn are always referencing other books. Right? That's Torah. They're always saying this Gomorrah, that, whatever it is. So oftentimes it'll mention a Gomorrah and I'll say, let's, let's look up that Gomorrah. But that's like a very dangerous thing to do because we only have a limited amount of time to learn together. And that will often send them on a hunt that could be five minutes, ten minutes, and he may not even find it at the end of that time. So it's, it becomes like a real... It becomes like a real thing, like, do we stop and try to look for the book? Do you understand? Because there's only a limited amount of time to learn. You can't shut it down, shut down the whole learning every time we need to find a book. So, <clears throat> so I tell him that, uh, I tell him that, okay, this is the time we're going to, I'm, 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 we're going to, we've got, I've got the new book I've got the new book that I want to learn, start learning. Um, now, again, I want to tell you something. We've been learning together for approximately 26 years, not on Shabbos, some Sundays, but usually five days a week for 26 years. The book, Tekhanas HaShavin, has never been mentioned once between us. To find 
Gomorrah Bruchas, which is like one of the most frequently accessed books that you'll find anywhere in anything, will take five, ten minutes and then you can't find it. So I said, I'd like to start learning to Kanesa Shavim. And he said, it's right here. No, but I'm quoting and I'm telling you the amount of time. I'd like to learn, start learning to Kanesa Shavim. It's right here. He says, I have a copy of it. He says, I've never opened it. He said, I've had it for years. You know who I got it from? The grandson of the top, top student of Rav Tzadok HaKon. So, that's the story, but I'll just throw on one P.S. I, I go to the Kolel, uh, and I, I'm thinking, because I haven't heard of this book. That's just me. That's just my ignorance. I'm thinking, maybe the Kolel has it. Maybe it doesn't. This is the Lakewood Kolel in Los Angeles. Maybe it has it. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? I can ask. So I go up to the one of the rabbis who learns there all day. And, um, and I said to him, I said, do you... I said, do you have Tekanis Hashavan? And he says, he goes, yeah, 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 we have all the, all the books of Rav Tzadok Akai. And he stands up and he walks and he, and, he, and he hands it to me. And it was, okay, that was great. So I have it, I have it in my hands, it's great. And I open it up and we started learning that day. The day that I, normally speaking, if it's going to be a, a book that's not like a, a like a, like a normal, regular book that you hear about all the time. He's got to buy it, I've got to buy it. That could be a week or, or, or more or something like that, you know, finding it, all the rest. So we started learning it. That The day I mentioned is the day we started learning it. So, so I open it up, and it's, it begins by quoting this um, Gemara, Yuma, page 86. And it's talking about tshuva. The whole book is talking about tshuva and all the levels of tshuva. And in the Gaborn, page 86, in Yuma, it's talking about all these different um, levels of tshuva. Tshuva means like really connecting yourself completely to God, right? So, so then I, I realized that this rabbi who handed me the book that begins on page 86 in Yuma, a couple weeks beforehand, I was preparing to give a talk on Yom Kippur for the shul here, and I was very sort of like struck by, by this teaching that says that even if you don't do tshuva, even if you don't do anything, the power of Yom Kippur is so intense that it'll cleanse your soul even if you don't do anything, just the power of the day itself. Now, it happens to be that's not the opinion we go by. That's by Rebbe. Rebbe in the, in the Talmud. We don't go by that opinion. But the fact that someone as great as Rebbe in the Talmud suggested such a thing gives you an appreciation of how awesome Yom Kippur is. Right? Just the fact that you could even say such a thing. 
So I was trying to find that, that teaching. And I asked that same rabbi who handed me the book. And I said, where, where is that in the Talmud? And he says, oh, that's on page 85 of Yuma. <laughs> and the next time I talk to him, he hands me this book, which begins on page 86 of Yuma, and the next page. And I hardly ever talk to this person. Right? So I'm just starting to learn from that book. God willing, I'll tell you something from it. Today, I hope. But let me just tell you another story. So, my daughter started Princeton, and they had a, they had a uh, parents' weekend last, last week, so I went in for that. And I was so impressed by the Jewish community there. It was really, they've got really a core group of, of, of uh, you know, Shomer Shabbos kids who are like really on fire and like really dedicated and interested. And there's like a real, a real critical mass and they've got a beautiful um, uh, kosher uh, cafeteria that serves three hot meals a day. Mm-hmm. And the, like the selection and the variety, it's like you're walking into a restaurant three times a day. It's really, it's really something. It's really something. And they have um, rabbis there, and they have an act of Chabad there, which is, you know, independent of the, they call it the CJL, the Center for Jewish Life, but they work together, and so, in other words, you have a lot of options, is what I'm trying to say, and people go to both. It's very nice. We actually stayed at the Chabad rabbi's house. It was very nice. And um, they have the, the, the rabbi of the shul there, after after uh, Shachris, after the Shabbos morning prayers, he, he gave a class, so I went, I attended the class. And what is he teaching? He's, he's teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. A young rabbi on fire, his wife is getting a PhD in Senegalese music as it relates to some wrestling ceremony that they have. <laughs> and she's a scholar, and her father is like one of the leading Talmud and math scholars in Israel. <laughs> just, like, just amazing people. And he's teaching the Baal Shem Tov, and he's telling me about Rav Pinchas of Karetz, who I know, you know, is one of the names that Rav Shlomo would mention, who's a, a close student of the Baal Shem Tov himself, not generations later, of the Baal Shem Tov himself, Rav Pinchas of Karetz. And I've always been fascinated by him. Rav Shlomo, you know, would mention him all the time, but but for an extra reason, because when I, there's a street in, in our neighborhood, Robertson, it's, I don't think the sign is up there anymore, for, but for years, when you drove up Robertson, north on Robertson, there was a blue sign on a lamppost that said, you know, this district is, um, is the councilman is Paul Koretz. And he's a descendant of Rev. Paul and Pinchas, that's, right? He's a descendant of Reb, of Reb Pinchas of Koretz. So the whole Pico Robertson area is represented by an anacle of Reb Pinchas of Koretz, who was like one of the Baal Shem Tov's closest disciples. And I looked up his, his uh, little biographical kind of sketch, and it said that the Baal Shem Tov said about him, a soul like Reb Pinchas of Koretz comes into the world once every 500 years. 
So he's he's telling me about Reb Pinchas of Koretz, like that he's learning this sefer called Imre Pinchas, which is a collection of his teachings, which I don't know the story yet. I'm going to try to find it. And if I find it, I'll, I'll, God willing, I'll, I'll say it over to you guys. That apparently the manuscript for this book was miraculously saved during the Holocaust. So, so now we, we have editions of it and everything like that. And, and because he had mentioned it to me um, Friday night, when I saw him Shabbos morning, he said, here, I brought this for you. And he brought me the Imre Pinchas, this book. And I'm just holding it, and I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just feeling it, you know? And I'm like, okay. Here it is, you know? And during the whole shear, I had it in front of me and just looked at it a few times, and I was like, I don't know. I just felt a connection. The, the next day, I, I have a lot of work to do. I got into, we drove back after Shabbos, and I was up into the middle of the night working on something, and then all the next day, you know, I was in New York, I was working on this thing, and I didn't give my talk last week, and so I, I hadn't learned that morning, and I was in the middle of kind of working on this thing in this person's house, and I look up, and I see they have a bookshelf, and there's, one, there's a volume, The Great Hasidic Masters. And I have this book. It's a great, great book by Rabbi Avraham Frankel. Um, it's, a, it's a great book if you, if you don't have it. It's like a, there's, a, there's a chapter on a lot of the, not all the Rebbe's, but a lot of the greatest Rebbe's with short translations of different teachings of theirs. It's, it's a must. The Great Hasidic Masters, it's called. Highly, highly recommend it. Rabbi Abraham Finkel. Um, anyway, I look up and I see that they've got a, a, a soft-covered version of that, that book. It's, it's actually an oversized book, but this was a soft-covered version of it. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't, I didn't learn today. I got I to gotta learn something, right? And then I saw that book, and it's one of my favorite books. I saw it on his bookshelf. I said, okay, let me just take it. And there's something called the Goral of the Gra. And again, I, I'm just telling you this so that you should know it, but don't overdo these things, okay? That's, that's my advice to you, okay? Just, I'm telling you so you should know it, but don't get neurotic about these things, please. So what it is is that you take it, and I don't even know exactly how it works, but basically you turn the book, the Gra was the Vilna Gone. You turn a book seven times and then you open it up at random. And it's a way of getting Siyata De Shemaya help from heaven to direct you to something. Again, please don't overdo this. If you need it for a special occasion, do it. But don't make it part of your life. Just because it feeds, it doesn't feed the part that all of us need to be fed. In other words, like Reb Shlomo said to me one time, Hasidus, and he meant also Kabbalah, Hasidus is like whiskey, Gomorrah is like bread. If you don't have bread in your stomach, you're going to get drunk. Right? Like, so, you have to have a balanced diet in what you learn. And if you overdo certain things, all of us are, if we're even learning these things, if you're even listening to this talk, you were basically born drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning to say that you have, you've already got the whiskey in your veins. So the answer to having the whiskey in your veins isn't more whiskey. (laughs) 
you need the whiskey so you don't crash. I'm actually being serious about that. I don't want to overdo the uh, analogy for people who are in AA, you know. But that's a real thing. But, but you need to have, if you, if you have a spiritual inclination, you need to be learning things that are spiritually inspiring to keep you going. You need that. You need that. However, you have to balance it with like more grounded teachings like halacha and gemara. Because otherwise you're just going you're gonna to spin yourself off into a bad place thinking that you're doing a good thing for yourself. So remember, like Reb Shlomo would say, the hardest thing for a person is to keep your feet on the ground and head in the clouds. You need them both at the same time. Most people whose head's in the clouds, their feet are not on the ground. And most people whose feet are on their ground, their head is not in the clouds. You need both, but it's hard to have both. It's hard to have both. Because you've got to know how to yank yourself up and yank yourself down. And it doesn't, it's, it's, it's a discipline that comes over years. So that's why I'm saying when you learn something like when I'm telling you the goro, goro means like a lottery, right? The goro of the gra, when I'm telling you something like this, if you're already spiritually inclined, the answer isn't more whiskey. The answer usually is more gomorrah or more halacha. Okay, anyway. I, this is not a part of my daily thing. However, for whatever reason, because I think I was just so exhausted and tired, I'd been up so late, I'd just flown in, I'd been up till two in the morning, I got up like for the first minion super early, I'm working on this thing that's due, I hadn't learned, I saw this book, The Great Hasidic Masters, and I thought, okay, let me pull it out, and I I thought to myself, I'm just going to learn one thing, because that's what I have time for, but it's got to be something special. So I start turning the book. And I open it up, and it opens up to Repinchas of Koretz, to the Imre Noam, to the Imre Pinchas, rather, to the book that I had just had in front of me that I had just kissed the day before, this Rebbe. And like all of a sudden, there it is, you know? So what did it say? The point was that it was Erdo. But as long as we're there, I might as well tell you what it said. When Adam and Chava were sent out from the Garden of Eden, it said that Hashem put an angel there, (coughs) proven. These are fiery angels with a fiery sword that was a turning sword that was blocking our way path to the tree of life, blocking our way back to the tree of life. Because basically, it's, it wasn't going to be so simple at this point. After we ate from the tree of knowledge, it's, it's, there's a lot of fixing that has to be done. We couldn't just, just go straight to the tree of life at that moment. We had to go through the process to, to get back to it. So he says, Reb of Karetz, says that the tree of life, so to speak, that's like Hashem. And anyone who wants to get close to Hashem, they have to know that there's a lot of obstacles between them and Hashem. That's the kruvim with a flashing sword. You just have to know that's part of life. 
it's like I remember when I was first started reading Reb Nachman of Breslov, there was a teaching there that shocked me, basically. And it said that if someone decides that they want to start getting closer to God, the first thing that get, they get sent are tests. And you know, if you grew up in America, you're so used to like, you know, you pick your nose and people throw you a party. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you, you, you put on a sock, <laughs> you're the greatest thing in the world. It's like, let's celebrate, you know? It's like... So you think, I want to get closer to God, like heaven should be throwing me a party, right? What does it say? You're sent tests. Because they say in heaven, oh, does he really want to get close? He says he wants to get close. Is it true? How much? How much does he want to get close? How badly? Very interesting. So this is very much in keeping with what Reb Pinchas of Karists is saying. That the tree of life, so to speak, that's like Hashem, and the angel with the flashing sword is in between. And these are the obstacles. These are the obstacles. So when that happened, I forgot this part of the story until now. (laughs) When that happened, I thought to myself, the gates are open. The gates are open right now. And, And I remember hearing from Reb Shlomo one time, when the gates are open, you have to go through. Very general idea, but meaning if there's an opportunity do it in the moment, if it's a good opportunity. I thought to myself, the gates are open right now between me and Repinchas of Karetz. I have to buy the Sefer right now. So I, I said, but I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I've got this deadline. I've got to do it. And then I thought to myself, you already told you when the gates are open, you have to go through so I called up this bookshop, and it rang and it rang, and uh, this is Eichler's, if you, if you ever want to, Eichler's has a very good, uh, and they ship very easily, and they, they have all the books. It's in Brooklyn, E-I-C-H-L-E-R-S. If there's ever a, a safer you need, you can go local, or Eichler's will have it. So they said, uh, the person, the main person answers the phone and then they have different departments. So, Sfarim, that's the, you know, the Hebrew Torah books. So I ask for Sfarim and they say, okay, we'll transfer you. And it rings 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 and it rings. And then finally it goes back to the operator and she says, you know something, um, they're busy with customers, uh, you can send a text or to this number, whatever it is, and it, they were already adding a step that I knew that it wasn't going to happen because I had to look up another number or do something else. I knew it wasn't going to happen. I said, try again. This was like a few seconds later. But what's so funny is is that they tried again. He picked up the phone. He goes, okay, I'm sending you the book, and I got it yesterday. <laughs> Or I got a Friday. 
But it was what he was saying. He was saying that there's an angel with a flashing sword standing between you and the tree of life. The Torah is called the Yitzchayim Mosa. So it's like, you want to learn my Sefer? <laughs> I'm not going to make it hard, but let's, let's be real. I have to try a little bit harder. So I said, try them again. And they tried again, and they picked up on like the second ring, and they took the order, and that was that. So, to sum it all up, to quote Reb Shlomo, what do we know, right? What do we know? I mean, I just told you three stories. The person buried next to the Kutzka Rebbe, Rev Tzvi Hirsch of Tamashov, right? Like, that's wild, right? I want to start learning to Kanish Hashavin. All of a sudden, everyone's an expert in Tikkunas Hashavim. Like, oh, it's right here. Like, literally. Oh, it's right here. Oh, yeah, and I got it from the top student of the person who wrote it. The grandson of the top student of the person who wrote it. What is the translation of A Tikkunas is like a decree or, or a fixing, like Tikkun, Tikkunas. I don't know the exact translation, but... Tikkunas? Yeah. Tikkunas is a law. Yeah, it's the, the way, like a takana in the Gomorrah, you see it, is it's, it's a decree. I say decree. It's a law, yeah. Um, hashavim is those who are returning. Like, shavim and, 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 and shuva, and shuva are, are, are related. Um, and then this story of Reb Pinchasa, and this is all happening within a few days of each other. You know. So, I, I'm telling you, I wasn't. I, these things happened a while ago already. I, I'm just telling you now because I just think it's important somehow. Because, you know, as much as these things happened to me, maybe they were just for you guys to hear. I don't know. So, so that's why I'm talking. So, uh, we have to know the closeness between this world and the next world. We're, we're, you know, the funny thing is, we're all in this together, but that includes the dead, <laughs> who are dead. <laughs> kind of funny. But, you know, you have to be like, Judaism is like, seriously macro. <laughs> if you don't get the macro side of Judaism and you just think it's like, in, I can't eat in this restaurant, I can eat in this restaurant, but I can't eat in this restaurant because I just ate in that restaurant. <laughs> if you think that's the entirety of Judaism, it's, uh, you don't know what, you don't know what, you don't know the first thing about what Judaism is. But because God is all-encompassing, a lot of our life is the little things as well. So, so something that's all-encompassing has to also address the small things in life. 
And then who's to say what's small at that point? Because their perspective is so radically altered that we don't even know at this point what's big and what's small. So you just take everything seriously. And since most of life is minutia, you take the minutia seriously too. And you figure out, how can I make the minutia holy? Because that's a lot of what life is. And then it doesn't become minutia anymore. It becomes the smallest things in life is interfacing with the divine. Like I like to say, like, you know, that there's a Torah way to put on your socks and shoes. It's the, one of the most amazing things in the world. But if you don't understand that this is coming from the most beautiful place that you can even make putting your socks and shoes on an elevated experience, if you think that it's some weird impulse of the rabbis to tyrannize every detail of your life, then again, you don't even know what's going on. Just in case there's one person who doesn't know, you put on your right sock and then your left sock and then your right shoe, and then your left shoe. You always do the right first before the left. Kabbalistically, the right side is chesed, which means kindness. The left side is gvura, or din, which means judgment. So, you know, you do the right side before the left in general. But then it switches for the tying. Then you tie your left side, then you tie your right side. That's, that's what it is. And I remember I asked why, and they're lengthy explanations, but this is the explanation that I heard. And it's funny because you could only almost divide people up into two groups, the people who love this answer and the people who hate this answer. I was, I'm in the group of the people who love this answer. <laughs> By the way, if you hate the answer, there are other answers. But they, I said, why? And they said, because if you put your right sock and your right shoe on first, your left foot's going to feel bad. <laughs> I love that. And why do I love that? Because we have a Torah that is sensitive to how your left foot feels. <laughs> what could be more divine than that? What could be more sensitive and caring and loving than that? Okay, so we're getting toward the end here. So let me give you one teaching from the Takana Sashava from Reb Tzadik HaKayim. So, so he says, he says the following. And I'm going to go into a little bit of detail. It's a, just a very strong, nice point. But, just, there's some, you know, these, these teachings are so exalted that there's a lot of information that comes along with the very inspiring aspect of it. So I just, I just want to tell you. So, so it says in the Gemara, in, in, in Masech to Shabbos, page 88, and it goes on to 89, that when Hashem wanted to give the Torah to the Jewish people, the angels protested. The angels thought that it's not right that human beings who are on this low level should have the Torah, which is so holy and exalted. 
So the angels tried to stop the process. And Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, debate them. And Moshe Rabbeinu was like, you know, was afraid, basically. And Hashem said, hold on to the throne of glory. What's what's called the the Kisei HaKavit. Right? That means the throne of glory. And hold on to that. Now you should know that the souls of Israel emanate from beneath the Kisei HaKavit. Now again, you can't get kind of this is imagery that the that the that our tzaddikim have given us to try to begin to wrap our minds around things. So it's only helpful to a certain point to picture a giant chair floating up in the sky. <laughs> is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> like this is just whatever. It's just it's just there. It's it's more than that. But but you you, you have to hear that so that you don't mislearn these teachings, right? Anytime you're given like a piece of imagery of something heavenly, always keep in mind that that's just something to begin to just attach your thoughts to, but not, it's, it's more than that. It's way deeper than that, okay? So, so there, there's the, there's four levels of, four worlds we call it, Okay? And the bottom world, that's this world. It's called the world of action, which, which is very important to understand that we inhabit the world of action. And that's a very big thought in terms of if you want to try to understand what Torah is saying on the most basic level. Because we think, oh, I believe, and I've got a good heart, and my intentions are good, and all that, I, I don't want to be dismissive of that. It's important. However, this is the world of action, which means we have to do things. That's why the mitzvahs are so action-oriented. Put on tefillin. Light Shabbos candles. Keep Shabbos. There's a lot of stuff to do, and it's important that we do it because this is the world of action. That's where we are. Like, can you imagine you're going to the baseball stadium, right? And they say, go, you're, you're going to play first base. Nah, I showed up at the baseball stadium. I'm going to play, play, play first base from here. But no, 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 first base is over there. You have to walk to the base, put on a mitt, and play first base. You know what? I'm going to sit over here and think about playing first base. Okay, if that sounds silly to you, then that's what a lot of us are doing with our 70, 80 years on this planet, which we've waited who knows how many thousands of years to get the opportunity to inhabit a body. Right? We're thinking about This is the world of action. Above... This world of action is a realm called Olam Yitzira. Olam Yitzira is where the angels are, okay? Above that is Olam Berea. Now, what's so interesting is that's where the Kisei Kavit is, the throne of glory is. 
And what did we say? That the souls of Israel emanate from beneath the throne of glory. Which means, if you're mapping this in your brain, you mean the souls of Israel are above the world where the angels are? That's right. That's, that's a massive thought. That's a massive thought. Which means that, well, how are we above the angels? That's the question that you have to ask yourself, right? How is it possible that we are above the angels in the divine landscape? So now we get back to what Rav Tzadik is teaching. A very amazing teaching. He's going to tell you how you are higher than an angel. You want to know how you're higher than an angel? Here it comes. So Hashem says to Moshe, you want to debate the angels? Hold on to the Kisei covered. Uh-huh. Which is what? Which is the source of my humanity. Right? Because that's where the souls are coming down. Hold on to the Kisei of Kavid, the throne of glory, which is the source of your humanity, and debate the angels. So Moshe starts giving arguments why we should be able to receive the Torah. Do you have to work that you get tired? I mean, I'm sorry, do you, do you need Shabbos to, to, to rest from all the work that you're doing? The angels are like, no. Do you, do you have parents that you need to honor them? The angels are like, no. And Moshe continues to give arguments and the angels are acknowledging that, you know, Moshe's right. No, no, no. But there's one argument that Moshe gives and then it says, miyad, miyad means immediately, miyad, the angels agreed and consented that we should have the Torah. So the question is, what was the winning argument? Right? Don't you want to know what, what, what trumped the angels? They're going, yes, 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 yes. But not miad. You take it. Moshe Rabbeinu says, this is the answer. Moshe Rabbeinu says, do you have a Yetzirah? Meaning, do you have this negative inclination? Do you have this thing that brings you down, that tries to destroy you? Inside of you, that you need the Torah? And the angel said, you take it. So that's the winning argument. Now, what's so interesting about this is that if I, if I understand it, well, let me just tell you the teaching, and then, then I'll tell you this, this is the point I was about to say. Rav Tzadok HaKoyim learns a major, major landmark truth from this about what it means to be a human being. Why was that the winning argument, the fact that we have a Yetzirah, and a negative or an evil inclination, however you want to translate it? Why was that why was that the thing that gave us mastery over the angels? And the answer is because we are the only creation in all of in all of existence, the only creation in all of existence that gets 
to sanctify God through struggle. For the angels, service to God, perfect service to God is easy. Animals don't have free choice. It's easy for them to do whatever it is they're supposed to do. For God, what's hard for God? Nothing's hard for God. There is nothing in existence that has to struggle to serve God except human beings. And while on some level you can say that's our downfall, if you want to get super macro about it, that is our unique opportunity for extreme greatness. Because if you have to struggle and do the right thing, that's so much more awesome than just, it just just comes and it was not meaningless, but nothing went into it. You just did it. That's why the throne of glory, where the souls of Israel come out of, emanate from, are above the angels. Because we're able to serve God through struggle. What does the name Yisrael mean? Look it up. Look it up. It's right in the Torah. It says, Jacob struggled with the angel, wrestled the angel, and won. And that's what Yisrael means, to struggle with God. But here's what I want to say before. The amazing way of learning this Gomorrah is that Moshe didn't say to the angels, like, as a, like, pity us, have mercy on us. We have this negative inclination, so please let us have it. No, it was like, we, like, almost like proudly, we have a Yetzirah. Do you have that? We have this awesome thing that we're able to serve God with. Do you have that? Is it hard for you? We get it to be hard for us and we still do it. Can you even come close to that? And they're like, you're right. You tell me. You will, you will bring more light into the universe than, than we ever can. You take it. So when you struggle, and it's hard for you, like the rabbi at, at Princeton, Ravario, said something so great. I, this might be more for men than for women, but um, um, maybe you've experienced it too. He said, do you know that experience where you go to bed and then you're like, you put your head down on the pillow, and then you go, ah, oh, I didn't have in Marv. <laughs> and you get out of bed, and you daven marv. And then he said, those are the best davenings and the worst davenings. He said, they're the worst because you have no kavana, you can't concentrate at all. But they're the best because you say, how was I even able to do that? How, how did I do that? How did I claw myself out of bed and daven marv? Okay.